This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. We now know who won what awards on Hollywood's biggest night, the 95th Academy Awards. It was an evening of firsts. Of the 20 acting nominees, 16 were first-time nominees. And that includes Michelle Yeoh, who scored a historic Best Actress win for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. She's the first Asian woman, Yeoh is Malaysian, and second woman of color to win in the category. And then there was Vietnamese-American actor Ki Hui Quan, who also won for his role in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. He became the second Asian man to win in the Best Supporting Actor category. But excluding the historic nomination for Michelle Yeoh, this year's slate of Best Actor and Actress nominees was entirely white. That's only three years after the Academy's new diversity guidelines in response to 2015's Oscars So White campaign. Then there was also the investigation into the campaigning tactics of Best Actress nominee Andrea Riseborough in January. So where do the Academy Awards go from here? And what do this year's nominees tell us about movie going? We get into all of that in more after the break. Later on, we revisit our movie club discussion of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which took home the big prize for Best Picture. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with all things Oscars in just a moment. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top-10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcast. It's the 1A Movie Club's Oscars recap. Joining us now is Jacqueline Coley. She's the awards editor at Rotten Tomatoes. Jacqueline, it's always great to have you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back. And John Horn, official 1A Movie Club vice president, is with us. He's an arts and entertainment host at LAist, formerly KPCC in Los Angeles. John, welcome back. Happy to be we happy to be with you. Not a lot of sleep here. Happy to be with you. <laughs> and I know, Jen. and and after we we sprung ahead too, it's just not fair. So everything, everywhere, all at once scored eleven Oscar nominations. It got seven wins. Jacqueline, what was your reaction to how it performed? 
most happy, predictable evening I've ever enjoyed. It was uh, absolutely, I, I will say, telegraphed by a lot of the precursor awards. We track them at RottenTomatoes.com on our awards leaderboard. Everything Everywhere All at Once has been dominating. I'm going to update it tonight. I think it's going to finish the year with over 200 wins. So every category that it won last night was much deserved. John, what about you? I, I mean, I agree. I uh, I thought it was a great evening for the film. I thought some of the evening surprises, I thought there were some surprises. I mean, if you look at who didn't win, I think it's fascinating. You know, Fableman's Tar, uh, let's see, Fableman's Tar, Banshees of Inisherin, and Elvis had a combined 30 nominations. They went home with, I'll give you a hint, it starts with zero. Oh. Um, wow. So, yes, the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. So the Daniels also scored a Best Director win at the Directors Guild Awards. But, you know, before award season, a lot of folks thought Everything Everywhere All at Once was was an underdog. So what does this film's success last night say about how the Oscars have changed, if anything at all? Jacqueline, what do you think? What's really interesting is Justin Chang has a great piece in the LA Times talking about how though Everything Everywhere All at Once is a radical win for Oscars in the sense that it's a sci-fi film that really sort of expanded the genre. It's also really just um, a subversion of the Marvel superheroes that audiences have become attached and in love with. And so in a lot of ways, it is kind of, and I will use his quote, this is Justin Chang's not mine, inadvertently confirmed the derivative nature of Hollywood by making a Marvel adjacent superhero movie in indie drag. I mean, it's kind of interesting to frame it that way when you think about, like, yes, it's radical and incredible, but it is very familiar. Mm, John, what about you? Um, You know, the story of everything, everywhere, all at once is about a parallel universe. And the Oscars were a parallel universe to Hollywood. We talked about the diversity of some of the winners. That's not the business, and that's not how Hollywood operates. So I think what the Academy Awards really did point out is this kind of gulf between the Oscars and the industry because yes, this film Everything won seven Oscars. It's distributed by a small independent distributor A24 that does a lot of good films but the diversity of the winners I mean, we could even talk about James Martin uh, the the actor with Down Syndrome who won for live action short Um, that's not the way the industry works so I hope this was not only a fun night for Hollywood but a teachable moment that you can make movies that are well-made, that have diverse casts, and they can also win awards and do very good business. And I just want to make sure to note that Daniels won Best Director for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I I want to talk about money for a second because we're talking about Hollywood. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once was made for about $25 million. It grossed nearly $107 million worldwide, according to IMDb. And that makes it the most successful movie from A24. But John, within context, are those good numbers for Hollywood? Yeah, I mean, it's it's what Avatar and Top Gun make in a week. But yes, it's a very good number. And I'm also going to point out Parasite, which won the Best Picture Oscar three years ago, has grossed more than $262 million worldwide. A lot of that was overseas, not in the States. Now, listen, a studio is not going to make uh, its bottom line if they release movies that gross $80 million. Um, Everything Everywhere is a big hit for its budget and for its distributor. But again, they're not Top Gun, Maverick, Avatar kinds of films. But they do succeed. The problem for the studios is they only make avatars and Top Guns. They don't make these kinds of films. Um, and that's, to me, a real problem. Mm. Um, and, and the fact that a lot of, like, Universal Studios uh, did She Said. Nobody went to go see that. Uh, Focus Features uh, did Tar. 
uh, didn't win any awards, and nobody went to see it in theaters as well. So you can be nominated for awards, but if people don't go see your movie, they're not going to get made. Well, let's go to our voicemail box. Every year I see every movie that gets nominated in all the major categories. And frankly, most of them suck. I'm usually disappointed. This year, Tar and Banshees of Isherin, it's just like bad people doing bad things. I, I don't care what happens to those people. The movies that I liked this year were The Woman King and Wakanda, The Fablemans. I, I want stories with heart, stories that tell a complex character doing good things, bad things, hard things, funny things, and make me care about what happens to them. Thanks for that message. We also got this email from Chris who says, I would like to hear your panelists discuss why Tar didn't win anything. Jacqueline, what do you think? Oh, Lydia Tar, we barely knew you. I mean, I think me and John are the same on this one. We are so sad. I mean, I saw Tar at Telluride. I think John saw it there as well. He may have even done one of the Q&As. And both Kate Blanchett and Todd Field really left everything out on the stage. But what what John alluded to is partially the reason why it was not a big hit. And the Oscars do love hits in the nominations. But also, it was a film as beautiful and as thought-provoking and as interesting as the concept of Lydia Tar and all of the questions it has. It's not an easy film to fall in love with. And in the end, Oscar voters do not vote for the things that they appreciate. They vote for the movies they love. John, what do you think? I think it's partially true. I actually was talking with Kate Blanchett at the ceremony just before she went in for this category. Um, and I said, good luck. And she was, I think she kind of knew it's like, I need more than luck. Um, but yeah, it's a polarizing movie. I think the same is true of Babylon. I thought Babylon was going to win for best score for Justin Hurwitz's amazing music. Um, but it was a polarizing movie. Tar was a polarizing movie. Um, you know, the fact that Top Gun and Avatar won Oscars for technical awards, those I think that also proved that you can make a big blockbuster and make it well, and it will be recognized with awards. But I think Tar is, you know, just a polarizing movie. I have to say, though, about one of your, your voice mailbox uh, comments about bad people doing bad things, Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lambs, bad person. You really care about Hannibal Lecter. You don't necessarily like him. You're not really rooting for him to kill more people, but you care about his outcome. So you can make movies about bad people that are engaging. Signs of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter, Exhibit 1 and 1A, hmm. to speak, so to speak. <laughs> Let's go to our voicemail box. Linda in Florida sent us this message about the CNN film, doc- the documentary film, Navalny. It won the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature last night. I think it's an extremely important and extremely well done uh, portrayal of what Mr. Navalny is going through at the hands of a brutal authoritarian. The other movie that I enjoyed was Argentina 1985. Again, dealing with an authoritarian regime. It's historical. People, in my opinion, need to be aware. And these movies are wonderful in helping us. Linda, thanks for that message. Navalny, again, it tells the story of the attempted assassination of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny in 2020. What makes this documentary work, John? Well, it has the best five minutes of any movie last year, and that's when Alexei Navalny, with some help of some journalists who were up there when the film won the documentary feature prize, trying to find out who poisoned him 
um, how they did it. And there's a scene where Navalny calls up these people. I won't say what happens. Let's just say one of the assassins picks up the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, I think, the best five minutes of any movie last year. And it's also incredibly timely. I mean, given what's happened in Ukraine, given how people view Vladimir Putin, um, I think it's an important movie. And I think it also is important to look at a movie like... uh, all Quiet on the Western Front. They're both movies about people who are using force to get, uh, you know, Pyrrhic victories. I mean, Navalny left Russia and returned where he knew he was going to be jailed. Uh, he will probably, unfortunately, die in jail. Um, it's His story is incredibly important, as is All Quiet on the Western Front, because they're both talking about very modern issues, and that is a power and the abuse of power and what happens to people who are the victims of that power. Rebecca emails, Austin Butler gave the performance of a lifetime in Elvis and should have won. Well, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio did win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. John, I know you're a fan. What do you love about this movie? This is a movie that should have been up for Best Picture. I mean, the uh, Guillermo's and, and, and um, there's a co-director whose name will come to me in just a second. But what happens in this film is that you have animated characters and they are acting. The people who are animating these stop motion characters are giving a performance as good as any real actor uh, this year. It's an emotional story like like All Quiet on the Western Front. It has its World War One angle about fascism. I think it's incredibly moving. It's dark. It's not something you want to take your five-year-old to, but it's also amazing storytelling, but performance. The the characters are, you know, they're these little, little manipulated creatures that are, you know, maybe a foot tall, but they give an incredibly emotional performance. Um, the co-director is Mark Gustafson. Thank you very, very much. But again, a great acting. I mean, you don't think about animated features as having great acting. The acting in this film, which is executed by the animators manipulating these um, stop-motion characters, is as good as most of the acting in any Best Picture this year. Well, let's go back to our inbox. Here's a message we got from Wallace in Bowie, Maryland. I think the Woman King should be in the running somewhere for something. It was a fantastic movie. And Viola Davis did a fantastic job. I don't understand why it's not even mentioned. Jacqueline, Woman King didn't get any Academy Award nominations. Was that a surprise to you? It was a bit surprising, I will say, because this was a film that was a success. It made, it had a really good box office presentation. It has an Oscar winner directed by Gina Prince by the Wood. In the end, one of the things that I, I really found with The Woman King is, I, I think a lot of people went into that one saying, okay, this is black women doing this story of the Agoje. And for a lot of Oscar voters, they were like told this was going to be Gladiator with black women or whatever. That's the sell, right? Yeah. And Woman King is so much more than that. It is a deep story of sisterhood, of camaraderie, of trauma, and of being a leader in a very complicated world. And although I will say that I think it is likely because most of the voters did not watch the film, that is the the thing that I always rely on, in the end, how these films are presented to the voting community has so much to do with whether or not they see it. And the idea that this is based entirely on meritocracy is just not accurate. It is set up to be a popularity contest. And so it's always going to be about the politics and the realities of what people think of the films. And as you talk to these voters, they just didn't resonate with the story enough to either spend time to see it 
or vote for it. So of the 20 acting nominees at the Oscars, 16 were first-time nominees. Jacqueline, how significant is that? That was actually very significant and honestly the best part of the entire process because so many folks who Hollywood had looked over and discarded. I mean, you look at someone like Kihei Kwan, you look at Brendan Fraser, you look at Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Judd Hurst and Angela Bassett reaching this pinnacle in later parts of their career absolutely incredible. And I think the part that we have to celebrate, even if we're disappointed with some of the results. We're discussing all things Oscars on the 1A Movie Club. And we're going to break with a nod to Natu Natu, which won the Oscar for Best Song. Back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Now let's get back to the movie club and all things Oscar. So there's been some controversy over the Oscar voting this year, particularly when it comes to transparency. Actor Andrea Riseborough scored a nomination for her role in the movie to Leslie, and it prompted an investigation by the Academy into the legitimacy of her nomination and the campaign tactics used by her team. Jen, tell us more about Riseborough's nomination and why it prompted this investigation. She got a big word of mouth uh, support, basically screening series and conversations hosted by a variety of, um, I'll just say it, white actresses like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, And to go to Jacqueline's point, nobody saw this movie. So, I mean, people saw Woman King. They saw Till. It grossed. If you empty the wa- our three wallets, it's probably about more money than this film grossed in theaters. So it was a word-of-mouth campaign among kind of elite uh, actresses and their friends. Um, and she got a nomination. And I think you could argue that Andrea Riceboro's nomination was Viola Davis's. I mean, I, I, who knows what the voting is, but Viola Davis was more deserving and people had seen the movie. And it also kind of suggested that you could, you know, do something for a movie that nobody had seen, nobody was talking about it, and nobody had given any awards to. And just by force of will from the right influencers, bring a nomination uh, about. Uh, Andrea Riceboro was never going to win. Um, I I thought the nominee it was it was legal. I mean, I guess you know the, the the scandal is not what's illegal; it's what's legal, and that that this was a legal enough uh, campaign. And word of mouth campaigns happen all the time. This just to me had a bad taste because if all of those white actresses had gotten behind Viola Davis, she would have been nominated. Mm. Instead, we had Andrew Ro- so, Riceboro. So when they the Academy says that they're investigating it, I mean, what does that really mean? 
I think it means whether or not they violated any any of the campaign laws. And the people I've talked to said that they didn't. Um, but it was effective. I mean, nobody saw this movie. Nobody was talking about Andrew Riceborough, and she got a nomination. I don't know if they'll end up changing the rules because of it. But then what is the rule? That you can't have a screening? You can't have people talking about a movie? I don't know what the option is. Um I don't think they did anything wrong. I just think it's unseemly. Well, Entertainment Weekly spoke to four Academy members about their Oscar ballots this year, and they remained anonymous. But one voter, an actor, told Entertainment Weekly, quote, I think the Academy is making an effort to please everybody, and it's reflective of the state of the world. But I feel like they're being held hostage somewhat unfairly by the wokeness. That's his word. Um, And we should mention that that same person quoted said they did not see Uh, The Woman King, and I believe later on in that quote went on to reference Viola Davis in some way. Jacqueline, as someone covering awards season, what's your reaction to the comments Academy voters are making this year? Well, I will add that the Academy is 10,000 members strong. And although this person was very loud, look, I'm just going to go ahead and say this about that person. When you do an anonymous Oscar ballot, you don't go for the level-minded, well-adjusted, in-the-industry no people. You go for the most hinged take you can find because that's what gets clicks. So I'm not trying to say that this man's opinion or this person's opinion is, I'm just going to go ahead and say it's probably a man. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to say that this person's opinion is, is single. It's not. That is opinion within the academy, but that's also the opinion within audiences. That is not the overwhelming opinion. The, the I guess, original sin that that academy member committed that is truthful and accurate is that they didn't see The Woman King and they judged it on what they thought it was. That is really what a lot of these folks do. I, I have to like let it go because we were talking about Andrea Riseborough. The Academy Awards are not designed to be a meritocracy. It is a popularity contest. That is why the most well-known names oftentimes get nominated over and over again. It's not fair. I don't like it. And there's so much that goes into the money of a campaigning for an Oscars that also doesn't get talked about. But the one thing I will say this is interesting. Everything Everywhere All at Once did not campaign in the traditional sense. They didn't do the glitzy variety covers. They did not do as many of the glitzy tastemakers and a lot of the other things that folks do in the campaigning. They didn't hire the high-powered consultants. They really just did an extended release. They treated their crew and their and their cast like a family and paraded them around to every award show they possibly could. And that strategy paid off because in the end, people just fell in love with the movie. And the one thing I will say about the Oscars, yes, politics matter, who you know matters, your campaigning matters. If your movie is beloved and inevitable, it is beloved and inevitable. And it, and it usually always happens that way. The trick is, is does your movie match the taste of the Academy Awards audience? Because that is not the same audience that are watching at home. Well, John, we got this question from S who tweets, why are people who haven't seen all the films allowed to vote for Best Picture? Can you give us some insight into how this works? It's a good question. I mean, in certain categories, you do have to say that uh, you have seen the films, especially for nominations. And it's true for things like international feature nominations, but once the all the nominations are in, people can vote. Um, I I think it's ridiculous, but, you know, I did a story years ago about 12 Years a Slave where I talked to three Oscar voters who were voting for it for Best Picture, none of whom had seen the film. But they didn't see the film not because they didn't want to. They knew it was going to be so upsetting that they knew they couldn't get through it. Um, and I think that's different. 
And to go back to this idea of wokeness, it's like politically correct. It's not politically correct. It's correct. And why is Woman King woke, but Top Gun Maverick isn't? I don't understand that thinking that people of color or people who might be, you know, LGBTQ, if you talk about them, you're woke as opposed to just being uh, receptive to the world in which we live. So I don't know about that. Uh I don't know how people would vote for a movie that they haven't seen. I know that it happens. Um, I think it's one thing if you vote for a movie because you know it's going to be good and you can't get through it. But I think it's worse if you vote against a movie that you haven't seen because that's really not fair. Mm-hmm. We got this email from Claudia who says, A few years ago, African-American filmmakers and actors did really well at the Oscars. I thought that finally their work would be recognized on a regular basis. That's not proving to be true. Now, in 2020, the Academy released a set of guidelines meant to encourage diversity, and these go into effect in 2024. Jacqueline, how do you expect these guidelines to change the types of movies we see nominated for Oscars, or or maybe you don't expect them to change? I mean, it's going to be interesting. First of all, I want to applaud the Academy because as much as was made of those guidelines when they first came out, they were actually done under the advisement and um, sort of partnership with actual studios, both big studios, independent films. And they made these guidelines, if I'm going to be completely honest, at such a basis level of entry. I mean, all you have to do is maybe hire a, a a person of color publicist to be on the team, and a lot of these metrics can be met. It's not as stringent as these categories are. These are really just polite suggestions, I might add, that have already been adopted by other organizations like BAFTA and, and the Academy of Australian um, Cinema. They do a similar um, diversity and inclusion standard for their folks to gain entry for consideration for awards. And so it's not that stringent. I actually don't think it's going to change entirely the makeup of a lot of the films that are nominated. You will still see films that have, you know, homogenous uh, cast that will be nominated. And you will also see films from non-marginalized communities that will be nominated. It's not going to keep certain movies from being eligible. What it will do, however, will be encouraging films to make sure that they are literally considering this in addition to the other hundreds of millions of decisions that happen in a day. Oftentimes, when you see things that happen that leave identity or representation out, it is usually by absence of thought, not by absence of malice. It is because these people are just not considering it with the 800 decisions they have to make for the day. And these, I think, guidelines help them make that front of mind in everything that they do, which it should be anyway, but this helps them do it. Let's go back to our inbox with this message from Anne, who emails, I found the ceremony to be very emotional. Jamie Lee Curtis in particular in her acceptance speech, especially when she ended by looking up to her parents, who are Hollywood royalty, and saying, we won an Oscar, and thanking her fans for supporting her in franchise films. But Demetrius emails, Angela Bassett should have won Best Supporting Actress over Jamie Lee Curtis. Why do the Oscars award trophies for an actor's body of work over their specific performance. I mean, and John, this is something I've heard over and over again. It's like, oh, they didn't get it for the role they should have gotten it for, but we'll give it to them in five years. I think there's a lot of validity to that thinking. That's, and I think Angela Bassett fits in that category, but so does Jamie Lee Curtis, but not like for the body of work that's quality work because she's admitted that she's made a lot of kind of lowbrow horror, not low, eh, lowbrow, lowbrow horror movies. I mean, they're not Jordan Peele level horror movies, but I do think that there is the body of work idea and the uh, best example would be John Wayne winning an Oscar for True Grit. Not a great actor, not a great movie. That said, 
there is an importance to it. And listen, I put Angela Bassett down in my Oscar office pool. That's why I lost, um, or part of why I lost. I thought she was going to win, too. I didn't think Wakanda Forever, you know this, Jen, I didn't think it was very good. Um, So I recognize that Angela Bassett has a great body of work, and she was very good in the film. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was in a better movie, and I thought it was a better performance. So there are times when you get to see somebody recognized for a body of work. I don't think it happened in this year's ceremony. I want to get to this tweet we got from Michael who says, what do the guests think of Warner Brothers and Disney essentially doing advertisements as part of the show? And do you think the Dark Knight effect of nominating eight to 10 films for Best Picture has gone too far? Jacqueline, let's start with the first part because I I didn't remember that happening before. I was like, oh, wait, there's a trailer in the Oscars? What's going on? Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. And one thing I will say, the Academy president, Bill Kramer, is very much about fairness. I think if you really clocked it, there was actually three sort of like studio presentations with it being Universal, Warner Brothers and Disney. Universal had that cocaine bear moment. I think that was there sort of like, let me show you what we do. I think that had more to do with the fact that it's 95 years and those are the three original studios that are still operating in the studio system. Remember, MGM is now owned by Amazon. It's a little bit different. I think the trailer is going to be something that, in my personal opinion, should be, if there's a sin to it, it's on the it's on the hands of ABC. They pay for that show. They pay a lot of money for that show, I might add. I mean, it's a very healthy contract between the Academy and ABC and I kind of look at it like, if ABC wants that trailer in the show, what can the Academy say? <laughs> and I think this is one of those issues where instead of beating up on the Academy, maybe folks should direct that towards who probably made it happen and make it clear that if you found this to be distasteful, make that known. So maybe next time they will think twice. Because I, I really do feel, I don't know this to be true. I have no inside information. But oftentimes when we have these head scratching things by the Academy, it's not the Academy. It's their partners that want it. Well, and John, to uh, Michael's other point, do you think the Dark Knight effect of nominating eight to ten films for Best Pictures has gotten a little out of hand? Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. The Academy did that and does that. And it's now ten every year because they want the ratings to go up. And we had, for the first time, two films that have grossed more than a billion dollars worldwide nominated for Best Picture, Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water. The idea by expanding the category from 5 to 10 is get more popular films. And remember, the Academy toyed with and quickly ditched this idea of an Oscar for Best Popular Film, which was basically an award for, like, your movie's pretty good, but not as good as the other ones. Um, it's kind of like, you know, most honorable, like, what do you what do you win in, in soccer? Most improved player, meaning you're, like, not great, but you're trying really hard? I won that myself. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know. And to go back to the 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 the, the Little Mermaid thing, I, I saw Bob Iger at the governor's uh, ball afterward. I wanted to go up to him, but I didn't. Bob Iger runs Disney. Disney runs ABC. This was synergy at its worst. I was talking to a Disney executive after the show, and he said it, he was just cringing when that uh, Little Mermaid promo came up because ABC is a Disney company, and it just looked like Disney said, listen, we've got the broadcast. We're going to plug our movie tough. Hmm. It was just, it was so wrong. Finally, let's talk about the movie business more broadly. Now, in his opening monologue, Jimmy Kimmel called 2022 the year that people returned to the movies. Uh, There were nominations for Avatar, The Way of Water, and Top Gun Maverick, two movies with huge box office numbers. But are cinema audiences back to their pre-pandemic levels? No. 
In fact, there was a moment at the nominees' luncheon where Steven Spielberg famously came up to Tom Cruise and said, thank you for saving the movie business. Steven Spielberg's movie, The Fablements, was a bomb. Tar was a bomb. She Said was a bomb. Women Talking was a bomb. The box office numbers are not only a fraction of what they were pre-pandemic, but the top 10 films now account for more than half of all tickets sold. It used to be about a third. So the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and the theatrical business is never coming back to what it was pre-pandemic levels. It might stick around for a while, but that, you know, so, that I horse mean, has left the barn. So Jacqueline, what do you think that means for the summer blockbuster season? I mean, one thing I think is going to be interesting is I think John is right in the sense that movies are changing, but I don't think that they're gone in the sense that they will never, they won't hit that level, but I do think they're going to come back to a much more acceptable level than they have been recently, because I think what we are currently in is the last tail ends of our Hayes code part of this. I can't wait till we get to more authentic stories, grittier stories, sexier stories. That will bring audiences back. They want original stories. If we give them, they shall come. Okay, so a gritty, sexy, authentic story you're looking forward to, Jacqueline? Uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. That's two together. <laughs> That's quite a pair. John, what about you? I hope, that, I hope there's some sex in Oppenheimer. I'm looking forward to Yorgos Lanthimos' next movie. It stars Willem Dafoe and Emma Stone. I want to say it's called Small Things, Pretty Things. I don't know. All it's the things. Out soon. All the what? things. <laughs> That's John Horn. He's an arts and entertainment host at LAist, formerly KPCC in Los Angeles, and Jacqueline Coley. She's the awards editor at Rotten Tomato. John Jacqueline, thanks for everything. We're discussing all things Oscars. We'll be back with part of our movie club discussion of everything, everywhere, all at once. We got a chance to sit down with the directors and one of the movie's stars. Back with that conversation in just a moment. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Everything Everywhere All at Once took home seven Oscars during the 95th Academy Awards. That included three of four Best Actor Awards and Best Film. The film premiered in March of 2022. For our April Movie Club discussion, we got a chance to talk to the film's now Academy Award-winning directors, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. We also spoke to now Academy Award winner, Ki Hui Kwan. In the multiverse where the film takes place, everything, everywhere, all at once might be called every genre, every emotion, all at once. It's a comedy, a family drama, a love story, and a science fiction martial arts flick. It's a story about fractured selves, queer acceptance, and paths not taken. It explicitly asks whether life has any meaning, and it shows us what can happen when we believe it doesn't. I began the conversation by asking them to describe the film. Here's Key. Uh, you know, yeah, I think you, you said it beautifully in, in the beginning. Uh, you know, our movie is this, you know, big science fiction action dramedy, uh, uh, a family story about, you know, the disconnect, disconnected with one another and they have to journey far, far into the multiverse. 
to find himself again. Uh, and, you know, it opens up a lot of, you know, great conversations, you know, what ifs and what would our life be like? Have we made different choices in life? And, and it's, you know, it's a fun, very entertaining movie with a big heart. That's how I would put it. But I'm sure Daniel can, can yeah. explain it better. <laughs> well, no, that, that, that resonates for me. Dan, what about for you? How would you describe it? Yeah, to me, it's just we're using the multiverse to explore what it feels like to be alive today. And what it feels like to be alive is is, is sometimes chaos. It feels like we're um, just trying to survive in that chaos. And this movie was a way for us to explore how can we thrive in the chaos. Daniel, what about for you? Oh, I like to just say it's about a woman trying to finish her taxes. Uh, that way that way, people go in expecting something real boring and I get to watch them... Uh, uh, get surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be quite the journey if my taxes ever got that interesting. Uh, well, in an interview with GQ magazine, actress Michelle Yeoh, who plays Evelyn Wong in the film, describes the moment she first read the script. When I read the script, I thought, this is something, oh dear. No, this is something I've been waiting for, for a long time, that's going to give me the opportunity to show my fans, my family, my audience, what I'm capable of. To be funny, to be real, to be sad. Finally, somebody understood that I can do all these things. And she she gets really emotional when she's describing Mm. that. Key, I'd love to hear what your reaction was when you first read the script. Uh, I I get emotional too when I talk about this uh, because... It was a script that I wanted to read for many, many, many years. You know, I started in the business in in the 1980s. I was very lucky. uh, You know, first movie out of the gate was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You know, I I can't believe that, that I got to work with Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and Harrison Ford. And I followed that up with another great movie called The Goonies. Mm -hmm. So as anybody would, you know... It's natural to think, oh, my God, I'm going to, you know, have this amazing career. Uh, but yet it's so difficult to be an Asian actor at that time. And as I got older, opportunities just got fewer and fewer. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, all I did was just sat around and wait for the phone to ring. And this is, I mean, for anybody for a young man, that should be your golden age, you know. You should have a lot of things to do. You know, opportunities, you know, knocking on your door left and right. That didn't happen for me. Uh, so I make the, 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 the painful decision to step away. So when I read the script, not only was it amazing, funny, entertaining, uh, emotional, but... You know, I, I cried also for a different reason. I cried because this was what I wanted. And so when I finished reading it, I remember calling my agent and I said, whatever you do, please, please, I want to be a part of this movie. It doesn't even matter what. I mean, I would, I would have honestly, I would have been an extra for the Daniels because of just how great this, this movie, the script was at that time. I read it. And uh, so, yeah, so to this day, I'm still processing, you know, how I'm sitting here and talking to you about this movie. And and I'm very grateful to the Daniels for gifting me this incredible opportunity uh, to play Wayman and to have 
this as my comeback movie after more than 20 years. I mean, I, I have no words to explain how happy I am, really. Well, the Daniels, what is it like to hear he reflect on what this script means for him and to hear Michelle talk about it as well? The actors in our film, they're all legends for different reasons. Uh, but to hear them say that after decades of being in this industry, that there's still more that they wanted to show and that this this film was an opportunity for that was is, is, is you know, something I think we'll always be really proud of. Um, we are we set out to make a film that explored the untapped potential of everyday uh, immigrant families, you know, and to be able to have that uh, narrative extend beyond the the script and into the actual lives of the people we're working with is, is so beautiful to us. And it was honestly, it's something that was kind of lost on us while we're making the movie. Yeah. It wasn't our goal, you know, like, yeah, it floors me. It makes me emotional. Be like, Oh my God, these people changed our lives Mm -hmm. with their work. Mm -hmm. And like, and the fact that like now our movie changed their lives is like kind of crazy. It's really (laughs) (laughs) wild. Well, Well, I'm curious when you were writing the script, did you understand what the film was going to be, right? Because it, it, as I'm watching it unfold, I'm, I have no idea where the story is going, which is the, the best experience for me mm-hmm. as a moviegoer, is, is not knowing what's going to happen next. Did you all know where you were going when you were writing the script? <laughs> we figured it out. Yeah. We set out with questions. Um and not answers when we when we start to um, explore writing, and uh, for this one, the the question was, as I mentioned before, is the how do we thrive in the chaos? And we wanted to create a movie in which we watch the chaos destroy the film. You know, the film you're watching almost falls apart. The the main characters no longer believe in the story, and and maybe the audience even no longer believes in the story, uh, which is kind of where I think all of us collectively are right now. It's really hard for us to hold on to any one narrative because there's too many of them in our everyday lives, and so we don't know what to believe in anymore. And so the 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 task that we set out to do was basically prove to ourselves that there is a way to crawl out of the, the chaos and and to to see each other in in the noise. And so I think part of the reason why you feel like that while you're watching the movie, like you, you mentioned, you never knew where it was going was because we were constantly trying to find answers and find things um, ourselves. And so, you know, mm-hmm. if we can surprise ourselves as the directors, then of course we're going to surprise the audience. And I think that's such a great, uh, what a, what a gift it is to be surprised as an audience mm-hmm. member. It's what I'm always looking for whenever I sit down to watch a movie. And so I'm so grateful that you felt that. Yeah. Key, how would you describe your character, Waymond, because I I came away feeling like he was really the heart in so many ways. He was the heart of the film. Well, he is this, you know, mild manner of of husband of Evelyn who loves his family, loves his wife, his daughter, uh, constantly seeking the approval of his father-in-law, even though, you know, uh, he and and Evelyn's been married for so many years. Uh, But also a character that truly believes in empathy and love and kindness. Uh, and, and you know, it's, it, when we see him, you know, he may not be the kind of husband that every woman wants, but certainly he's the kind of husband that every woman deserves uh, because he's just this loving guy. And, and honestly, I mean, it, it, it's a testament to how, uh, uh, how great the Daniels are when they wrote this script and also this particular character because 
you know, they they are they are really kind and and generous people, and they're very humble. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a, a quick story, really quick. When we were shooting on on on, on a movie, uh, I witnessed this firsthand. Uh, we were sitting down having dinner, and then when the background actors didn't have a place to sit, they stood up. The Daniel stood up and offered their seats to them, to, so that they can sit eat comfortably. I mean, this is the Daniels you know, for you. They're so humble human beings and kind. And 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 that's how they wrote this character, Wayman. Mm-hmm. Wayman is this, you know, is you know, he he's very loving. He loves his 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 family, he loves his community, he loves his neighbors, and he doesn't believe he believes in fighting with love and not fighting with your fists. That's who he is. And I had, you know, I I I couldn't believe, you know, I got to play him. And I, I think I got very emotional playing him at one point. <laughs> you talk about being emotional, Key, when you play Waymond. And one of the joys in watching this film uh, is is you inhabiting the different versions of Waymond as he moves through the multiverse. And there are moments when he's very debonair, and there are moments when he's less debonair. But that compassion piece of him carries through how did you think about inhabiting a, a character who who is really at his core just this person who cares so much it's such a wonderful character i wanted to do it justice uh so i knew it was going to be physically demanding uh so you know i i, I you know i i got back into training uh, martial arts and and i you know i ran and, and did all that but also the emotional aspect of this character I looked back my entire life, you know, all the ups and downs, all the peaks and valleys and stuff, and, and dig deep within myself and to pull out all those emotions, all those different emotions that I had in life. And I poured my entire life into these three different characters. They are me, but just in, at various stages uh, in my life. The Daniels wrote it so beautifully, and I, couldn't, I thought when I read it, I thought it was written for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got a lot of help because I haven't done it for so long. So I hired myself an acting coach, a dialogue coach, a, a, a voice coach, and a body movement coach. So yeah, I mean, it was it was great. Daniel, I'm wondering how placing the film in the multiverse really gave you all a lot of flexibility in building characters with this much depth, because it's not a character who's just you know, who they are because of a, a certain set of choices. Uh, they had, you got to explore these people through sets of, all, I mean, all kinds of different choices. How did that expand your thinking about what this, what these characters could be? It was such a fun thought experiment um, to write a character and then be like, okay, uh, what if in an alternate universe they're uh, extremely different? What, what things in their life might've set them down that path? Uh, and then to kind of invent a little backstory and, and create, uh, an alternate version of, you know, key, for example, uh, that just proves that like, that we all contain multitudes. Um, like I always say that, like, I'm like a few bad friends away from being a horrible person. Mm. Like if I had just met like a couple charismatic jerks in like high school, I would be a different person today. And, and, and that kind of became one of the many running bits in the movie was just like, oh, these little things that don't seem big at the time can send us down paths that change who we are. Well, and Dad, as you were building the script, how were you thinking about the physicality of it and, and the physical 
comedy as well because watching it, I was like, okay, this is so carefully crafted and choreographed. But I also had these moments like, did they plan to do that? You know, <laughs> so how, <laughs> how deliberate were some of the, the physical comedic choices you made? Yeah, I, we come from the music video industry. You know, we kind of took the path of Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones and a lot of the other directors that came before us. And so um, visual, physical storytelling has always been um, something we've leaned on. And so I don't know how intentional it was while writing um, because I think it's just in our, our DNA as, as, as filmmakers. And so a lot of that stuff we knew um, was going to uh, work visually in a way that maybe didn't work on the page, but, you know, Luckily, we have a lot of collaborators who are very trusting, and they can they can read our work now, and, and they know exactly what we're 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 imagining. With Key's character, with Waymond, we knew we wanted to do as little manipulation as possible when um, when he would be switching between different versions of himself. And so we, you know, one of the things we told Key early on was like, let's try to do as much as we can in your performance. If your performance can sell the the different versions of yourselves, and every audience member knows exactly. Um, who you are at every moment, like that will be such a beautiful, um, like wonderful trapeze act. Sometimes we'll have writer's block and then uh, we just have to like get up and fake fight each other or start acting it out. And like, yeah. uh, the way, we're not directors who kind of sit behind the monitor being like, um, you know, try this. We Very often we jump up and act it out uh, because um, I think we're just physical communicators yes. and with, with, uh, without very good vocabularies. And I keep saying, uh, a lot, you know, like, yeah, there's a reason why we became directors. We're not yeah. really great at talking. Yeah. My mom's going to call me and be like, you're, you had so many grammar problems in your interview. <laughs> well, honestly, I, I want to add something too, yeah. because, uh, because it's such a complicated script and I don't think we could have done this had not had all the actors not placed our trust in the Daniels. I mean, they mm-hmm. were, they knew exactly what was going on every single day? We had so much to cover, and and we looked to the guidance and you know and tell us and direct us and say, okay, so what universe is this? You know what what part of this in the story? I and mean, they had, we were constantly going them you know with questions, and they and they had all the answers. Hmm. Well, I, I want to wrap up by asking you each about something that really stood out to me in the film, which was learning to appreciate the ordinary. These very extraordinary things happen to these characters in the film. But there's power in just the everyday. There's power in that that person who's been by your side. And maybe it's not, they're not super exciting to you in the moment, but their compassion, their steadiness, there's power in that. There's power in having a space where a community can come and do their laundry. Like there's, there's something important about that too. Key, how are you reflecting on that after playing Waymond? Life is not easy sometimes, right? And, and, and it's, when it's not going the way you want, it's so easy to, to, to fantasize about, you know, being elsewhere. And, and certainly our movie, the premise of our movie opens up a lot of that, that, that interesting conversation. But I always feel like I, I look at it and uh, I mean, people often ask me like, you know, would I have done anything different? And honestly, I don't think this moment would have happened had, you know, everything's not happened in the order the way it did for this, for this movie to, to, to happen for me. So I, I wouldn't change a thing. And I think we, we can't take each other for granted. We have to be in the present, enjoy the moment, you know, whether it is 
good or bad because you don't know what good is until you experience the bad. You don't know what sweetness tastes like until you've tasted sour. Daniels, I'd love to hear from you on this as well. Yeah, I think it it was a real aha moment for us when writing to realize that like uh, we wanted to use the multiverse to go to to explore what ifs and go to far fetched, wild, fun places, but to ultimately celebrate the ordinary place we started, and and then that became like such an important goal for the whole movie to be like, uh, this is th- not an escapist film. For for me, the the term that comes to mind that I've been trying to kind of meditate on in the past, you know, six months or so is is the idea of mourning globally and thriving locally. Um, just having a way to um, create these spaces for you and your loved ones to connect and grow, despite how overwhelming um, the narratives of of you know a globalized world can be. And uh, I think as someone who has um, adult ADHD, it's probably one of the hardest battles I will fight every day is to be present and to like, as you say, just appreciate the mundane and and appreciate what is here. Um, And especially, you know, when you consider all of us are in a society in which, you know, billion dollar corporations are constantly fighting for our attention and trying to pull us away from the here and now, and they have the technology and they have the resources to do it. Um, And, and uh, how, how invisible that battle can feel sometimes and yet how um, crucial it is and how, you know, it is probably one of the most powerful things you can do today is to just pay attention to the person next to you. Mm. Hey, do you want to get lunch? Yeah. That we could good. turn off our phone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a good way to end it. Let's go get lunch. <laughs> that's, bye, bye NPR. <laughs> that's Daniel Quad, Daniel Shiner. They're the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once. Also with us, actor Ki Hui Kwan. He plays Waymond Wong in the film. Daniel's Key, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank Such a you pleasure. So much for, yeah, having for having us. Today's producers were Arfi Getty and Haley Blassingame. Barb Anguiano produces our podcast. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for joining us, and let's talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. 
Once I started realizing what a difference these little breaks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.